0: Welcome back to The Dance-Up, where we're shining the light on cultural competency between dance and healthcare to promote better communication and care. I'm Dr. James Walters, chiropractor with Pinnacle Hill Chiropractic, located in upstate New York.
1: And I'm Danielle Adyashither, Assistant Professor of Dance. Today, we have a very special guest. We're talking to Lydia Patzellas, who is a graduate of Drexel University's master's program in dance slash movement therapy. And we're going to be discussing a little bit how programs such as these can cultivate better relationships with the self and with others and between dance and healthcare. So Lydia, take it away.
2: Hi. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I am so honored to be here in dialogue and in conversation. I think The topic of healthcare and dance is a conversation that we need to continue to have within our own professions and uh, beyond that. So thank you. Thank you for having me. So I received my BFA from East Carolina University in dance performance and choreography. And then just this past summer, 2022, I received my MA in dance movement therapy and counseling from Jacksonville University. So it's been a journey of continued education here and I'm super excited to talk about it.
1: Yeah. Congratulations too. And all this during a pandemic, right?
2: Yes, Yes. Yeah.
1: So talk to us a little bit about your, um, your program because you had a little bit of a unique experience because while, you know, in COVID we were kind of isolating and sort of having to be in our own sort of spaces, you had the opportunity to experience some stuff face to face.
2: Yeah, so it definitely was such a unique experience and, you know, it was in constant change and fluidity even through graduation as things did change with the virus. And I think that was really kind of difficult even deciding, you know, do I move forward with continuing the program or starting the program or, you know, do I put this on pause? You know, that was really hard to decide how am I going to navigate you know, an education program during a pandemic when there's so many uncertainties globally. Mm -hmm. I think it was very quick that we began to connect because the program was so small. In my um, cohort, there was 11 students. So we were very fortunate to have the opportunity to gather in a space on campus for some of our courses because all of the undergraduate students were virtual and we were able to use the theater space. out, wearing masks, still taking precautions, staying home if we were sick and doing all the protocol that others were doing. So I think that did allow us to just connect quickly and help each other and to really hone in on the learning. Yeah. And alongside with just the classes that we were some meeting in person and some virtual. Along with this program, you have a um, practicum that then leads into an internship. So some of us were actually going to facilities and working with patients and being in the field learning. So that was, you know, also another layer on top of that.
1: Yeah. Wow. I'm just I'm imagining, you know, an undergraduate in dance. Right. As someone who was teaching during that. Right. We were in our nine by nine foot boxes and, you know, COVID tests and all of the. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. And I'm thinking like, oh, gosh, but we were really we were really, really trying as much as possible to sort of stay in our own little bubbles but of course we don't know mm-hmm. what's happening when when students are going home when we're going home and i right. just i it's just amazing to hear that you were able to also go to facilities because healthcare doesn't stop in a pandemic if anything it like picks up right
2: mm-hmm. yeah yeah some of us were able to go to our facilities it was based on the facilities protocol or the rules what they were having with students some people were doing their practicum virtual which that's a whole nother layer. I um, did not have to do that. I was assigned places that fortunately allowed me to come in. But again, there were some times where there was a COVID outbreak and we were in full PPE. And, you know, given that choice as a student, you know, you can decide for yourself, do I stay home? Do I, what precaution do I need to take based on my needs? We were given that option, of course, but at the time I was okay. And, you know, checking my health every day. So I did make those decisions in the moment. But like you said, healthcare and serving others in that facility and that capacity doesn't stop. So it was really powerful to be like on the front line as a student, you know, that's so many layers of its own there.
1: Yeah. Wow. So tell us a little bit. So you talked a little bit about the decision to move forward, even though a pandemic, but so you got your undergrad in dance and choreography, right? Performance and choreography. So what kind of led you to decide about dance therapy or dance movement therapy and counseling specifically?
2: Yeah, I think I, you know, it was kind of an exploration of deciding as I was moving into it. I think I, personally had this transitional time after graduating from undergrad, where it's, you know, you're in this tight bubble, you are, you know, performance mode, especially the program. As you know, that I went through, it was very rigorous, you are performing, you're in class, you're learning, you're in constant movement, and those around you are going through the same thing. So you are in this tight bubble of that kind of learning and growing and all of those great things. And then, you know you graduate and you get out there and you're kind of burst that bubble burst and you're like all right where do i go now and how do i figure myself out i think that was the hardest thing for me especially as a go-getter and a doer and a type a person i need to know like what i'm gonna do and how i'm gonna do it and what's it gonna look like so i definitely felt a little uncertainty but I did push myself and I explored and jumped into a lot of different things and I think I always had this passion for working with people and creating and being in community so I think that's where it kind of first started to stir and then I think I kind of got like I had like a mental block where I didn't know I didn't know what was next for me in regards to dance and being an artist and a teacher and a creator like all of those things were kind of happening all at once but I didn't know I couldn't see like what the next thing was Mm -hmm. so that's kind of where it you know all started to fire up and kind of you know what do I want to do what do I want to explore do I want to get my master's do I want to pursue something else so that's kind of where it all began. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and I also, I have to say, like, having known Lydia as an undergrad, just always super compassionate. And um, even in the works that you created, even in class, like checking in on your friends and that kind of part of us, we, you know, I, I just had this conversation like two days ago, I think with a student where it was like, we are people first, right? And so what is it that our identities are are definitely wrapped up in performance and choreography, particularly, as you said, like when that bubble bursts, right? <laughs> you're out in the world. Yeah, You've had your whole schedule, right? Aligned for you. And then all of a sudden you're <laughs> like, oh, well, now where do I go take class? And where should I move? Yeah. Should I move to big city? Should I stay home? Should I do this? Should I do that? And because that path is so different for so many people, It can exacerbate itself in a way that's like uh, some folks just choose like, I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to get do the safe route. Some folks are like, I'm going to jump off that cliff, see if there's water or land below. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just I always remember Lydia as someone who was so attuned to people's feelings, attuned to people's emotions, attuned to, uh, you know, what was going on on around us. And so it doesn't surprise me at all. I think I, you know, at all, I don't I, I see that as a wonderful opportunity for you and for growth. And I also, this idea, I think some students currently are sort of going through this process of what does dance look like post-COVID? And so, you know, learning, should I just make my own dances? Should I go into dance on film? Should I really, you know, can I make these opportunities for myself? And I just want to say wholeheartedly that simply because you decide to go into dance movement therapy or you decide to go in a completely different field, you get to decide how dance, especially in performance and choreography, Or daily life, right? Whatever that looks like for you, and I think you know having gone through sort of these these measures, right? Because you moved to Atlanta, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit about that before going into Drexel.
2: Yeah. So I definitely knew I wanted to move to a city. I wanted to be in an arts community. I wanted to keep driving that fire and that passion to perform and teach because obviously those were the things I still. Wanted to do and still want to do to this day. And I just never had the... I never had that burning flame inside of me or that switch of the light bulb in my head to move to New York for some reason. I don't know. I just... For some reason, it wasn't in my gut. So I ended up moving to Atlanta and, again, had so many amazing opportunities. I performed with a company. I was teaching at a dance studio. I was teaching after-school dance. I was working for a dance competition. You know, like all of those amazing things that I think when you're fresh out of college, those are great connections. They're great learning experiences. They're great opportunities to connect. And I've built so many connections over the years to people that I still talk to, to this day. So I really don't think I would, you know, there's always things you could do different or different um, choices you can make or different jobs or whatever. But I really don't think I would have changed it because it all did kind of lead me to where I am now.
1: So a couple of things, we'll we'll backtrack a little bit, but did you incur any injuries throughout your career? And what was that kind of process of uh, rehabilitation?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot just from listening to the work of this podcast and, you know, the connection of dance and healthcare. There's always some sort of little injury or pain or something <laughs> like that as a mover. I think we're just, you know, we're used to it. We're used to feeling pain in a different way, I think. Right. Um, and we can, you know, tolerate different kinds of pain because, you know, we push through rehearsals and performances and, you know, just get through the season and then you can rest your body. So I've definitely experienced injury. I had kind of an ongoing injury that kind of started in college and it still is with me to this day. Um. It kind of started off as hip pain and not really knowing where it came from because, you know, there wasn't ever this one thing where I fell and my hip fell out of, broke out of socket or something like that. It was just kind of a gradual pain that grew over time. So then it kind of later, it kind of resolved and it shifted more to back pain. So I think I've struggled with always having these pains that there isn't an exact answer or reason to why I have it, but it's just the continuous movement and the way my body, I move my body and putting it into positions and yeah, not really having the exact answer, but learning to kind of tolerate it. I think.
1: Mm, wow. Yeah. I love. Well, I don't love this idea of tolerate, but I can appreciate, yeah. and I appreciate the, right. um, the, the the that choice of words specifically, right? Yeah, James, and as as you know, as a doctor of chiropractic, how often do you hear dancers say tolerate with pain?
0: Oh yeah, and I mean that's pretty ubiquitous across most. Mm. Uh, sports, but it comes back to the thing again, being that there's a better understanding of traditional sports care than dancer care. And so a lot of it stems from, you know, dancers coming into contact with healthcare providers who have no idea how to specifically tackle what's going on. What, um, if any, what kind of interaction did you have with healthcare providers related to the hip injury? And did you find anyone who was helpful?
2: Yeah, I definitely did find people that were willing to, you know, Listen to how I explained my experience and what I do and, um, you know, maybe how it came to be because it was a gradual injury. I'm very fortunate to have parents in the healthcare professions that were able to guide me and connect me with professionals that... They trust and, you know, would be willing to like listen and come in with that open perspective of dancers and our flexibility, especially when you go in for the assessment and they say maybe reach for your toes or lean as far as you can. you know, our flexion and extension goes beyond the day-to-day patient they might see. So because I'm, you know, it's kind of confusing because then they're like, well, you can do that. So why do you have pain or, you know, it doesn't connect in that sense. So it's like that constant, like back and forth.
0: Yeah. The first things I uh, teach healthcare providers when I do lectures and seminars for treatment and management of dancers is like throw out all the definitions from your ortho books that tell you, Oh, (laughs) This test happens to ninety degrees because no, not not with uh, yeah. flexible athletes, it doesn't.
2: Right, right.
1: Yeah, and we've been talking a lot about those ortho assessments, exams, whatever. Like, I the number of times that I've heard oh, well, you know, you have plenty of flexibility, plenty of range of motion, you're fine, you you know? And it's like, great. And I used to have more and it's excruciatingly painful just to get to this part. doesn't mean I can't do it. It just means that I, you know, when the pain receptor goes off, it's much uh, much more exacerbated, right? And then remind me too, because I was only at ECU for a year, but there was a connection with a physical therapist there as well, right? Did you ever seek out any opportunities to work with them?
2: Yeah, I can't remember exactly if there was someone coming to our department building or someone that professors recommended. With, I'm right, remembering the exact details, but I definitely got recommended to therapists off campus, and that was really helpful and beneficial. But again, it's like, okay, how many times am I going to go see the physical therapist and you know, kind of giving me the same information of rest and, you know, rolling out or don't do this and don't do that. But I'm leaving and going to the rehearsal and, you know, (laughs) putting my body in compromised positions and not always having the time to take the self-care that was probably needed at the time. But I wasn't giving to myself, you know.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And can you talk to us a little bit too because we've been talking a little bit with other dancers, both professional and students, but this idea of culture of fear of of saying I'm injured to your teachers or to your choreographers or you know, and sometimes I think there's two things I think that are operating, well three maybe. I'm going to I'm going to say three. The first is the stigma around dance and telling anyone that you're injured ever, right? And that's that's something that is really I think it, it's been passed down for many, many, many generations. I I would like to think it's changing. And I think in some atmospheres, it certainly is. But then there's also the, I I should have been giving myself the self-care. I should have been doing that. But for whatever reason, we stand in our own way and we're like, well, I can just get, as you said, through this season or through this show or whatever. And then the third, if that ever happens, right, sometimes we do work for companies where there might be somebody at the helm who is perhaps scary um, and doesn't want to, you know, you don't want to let that person know for fear of losing the gig, losing the job, being demoted in your role. And so has that, what, what would you say about any of those three stigmas? Are there any ones that stick out to you in particular, whether that's having been a professional, whether that was from school, whether that's now, what are you noticing?
2: Yeah, I think definitely as a student in school, I think it was more of a self kind of competition with self rather than my peers, because I think I was lucky enough to be surrounded by other students and peers and friends that were supportive and a good dance community. And we wanted to see each other be successful and perform and perform with each other. But I think for me, it was more of a self kind of I put pressure on myself because I didn't want to fall behind or I didn't want to not be in the performance or have to sit out of the rehearsal or the show or whatever it was because you're working so hard to the next thing, especially starting as a freshman and then working your way up to a senior. You know, you're a little, you're developing so many strengths and you're getting stronger and you're becoming a more in depth professional dancer and you want to get into the pieces and you want to perform. So it's that constant push to, I don't want to say do better, but keep going and become stronger so you don't want to fall behind, especially when everyone next to you is coming at full force, you know, so I definitely felt self pressure in that sense. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I think as in professional experiences, a little bit of both self pressure, but also not necessarily pressure from or, you know, feeling that way towards the choreographers or the other artists but again just wanting to fulfill what you've committed to and not quote unquote giving up which mm-hmm. you know that's a shift of mindset you're not giving up but you maybe you're taking a step back so that then you can go forward
0: yeah. the other side of that too is even like the the access to care because we've talked a lot about on other episodes too you know most departments when they have dance programs do not give them the same access to resources that they do traditional sports so whether that's nutritionist personal <laughs> trainers it's great that you guys had like a pt even because most of the time i mean you don't even have that in a lot of uh, dance departments so it's great that you guys had some access to care but yeah on top of this battle of either i'm afraid of admitting i have an injury i don't want to get in trouble if i admit i have an injury or i'm you know even just being stubborn about my injury even if you overcome any of those or all of those is there someone around who still can help you without you going the extra nine yards?
1: Totally. Yeah. yeah. And I think also there's this, what do I want to say? The access to care for sure, because Greenville, North Carolina was also, while not, not as rural as where I'm currently at, certainly mm. access to care, you know, one would drive to Charlotte, right? That's where, <laughs> that's predominant, or um, uh, Durham, right? Those are places where there's maybe a bit more access to care. And then you're right, this idea of like, okay, well, the sports teams absolutely are going to get the care that they need that, you know, is supported. And I think having those conversations with stakeholders at universities to say, well, okay, respectfully, if you want this to become a thing and be be a really strong program and, you know, allow our students to have healthy bodies, healthy minds, you know, access to both therapy dance therapy right because i the other thing the other part of this is we can talk a lot about the physical and th- th- those are major 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 things but also you know as we're as we're moving particularly i would say in somatic practices or a, particularly in improvisation we're asking our dancers to become very vulnerable and we can see that that opens up sort of this gate of mental acuity but also mental awareness that oh i might not be okay i might be having this particular trauma that's 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 revealing itself so i also think that there's there's those those combinations of things to work with you know the the mental health on campus as well as the athletic trainers or the physical therapists or whatever is whatever is accessible right So next question, what was it that drew you? Because did you apply to other dance and movement therapy programs or what drew you specifically to Drexel?
2: Yeah, so I only applied to Drexel's program. I believe there are seven other accredited programs through universities, but I only applied to Drexel. I think uh, geographically, it kind of stuck out to me. I had heard like bits and pieces about it through other colleagues. Again, I was still kind of learning about what dance movement therapy was. I knew about music therapy and art therapy, two fields that are a little more seasoned, but I, I really didn't know the extent of, okay, this is The course curriculum. And this is kind of where it's going to lead you and what kinds of jobs you might be interested in. I was still kind of, you know, open to what that would look like. I wasn't really sure until I kind of came for the in-person audition slash interview. I knew it was a therapeutic work and with people and incorporating movement into psychotherapy. But again, it was still kind of fresh in my mind of what am I going to be doing? What am I going to be learning? What's that going to look like?
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. I love that you just chose one. You were like, this makes sense right. for my life, yeah. right? I think sometimes we make these choices of like, okay, I've got to I've got to apply to like a million different places and it's okay if it doesn't fit in my life, I'll just figure it out. But really, you know, again, this putting the person before the artist is we don't we don't do that enough, I think sometimes, right? And you talked a little bit about your I don't know, would you call it a residency or would you call it um where you were placed inside of a uh were you at like a clinic? What 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 did that look
2: like? Yeah, so the program is a two-year program, and the first academic year you are considered a practicum student. So when you're going into your field of placement, you are not you're hands-on and you're with the patients, but you're not you're not fully leading by yourself. You have a supervisor that you're kind of shadowing mostly. They do give you autonomy. And as you come week after week, you get a little more leadership in working with the patients, but you're still kind of at that first layer. And then second year of the program, you are an internship student. So during your first year of the program, you apply to different places around the city and outskirts of the city that the program helps you select and find these options. And then you spend a whole academic year as an internship student, again, taking on more independence, you kind of basically like you're working there for free. But you know, three days a week, and then you're having your classes on the other days. So I uh, had very diverse experiences. My first placement in practicum was at a geriatric psych inpatient hospital. And that was my first time working with the elderly population, which I thoroughly loved and am currently working with elderly. So that was amazing gateway into this work. And then second practicum, I was at a it was an inpatient behavioral hospital for children and adolescents. And in my internship, I was at McGee Rehabilitation Hospital working with patients from the age 14 and up. They were all different kinds of patients, um, individuals with spinal cord injuries, individuals who had suffered from strokes, amputations, different severities of injuries. So that was such an amazing opportunity to be in that community and learning about these different kinds of energies and how. Injuries. Excuse me, and how the practice can be brought into this space.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. With, Go ahead. With such a diverse group of patients, um, you kind of touched on, but like, what is the uh, like educational aspect of the curriculum like? Well, like, what does the course load look like in the classes you take?
2: Yeah, so the course load is kind of broken up into two lanes. There is half the course load is counseling courses that then give you line you up for the credentials to get your LPC licensed practitioner practicing counselor. So you're taking like intro to um psychology, you're taking ethics, those kinds of traditional courses towards counseling and then you're also taking a set of courses that are dance movement focus. So group dynamics, you're doing kind of intro to dance movement therapy. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but different specific to the modality of dance movement therapy. So those are all intertwined over the two years.
1: Okay, great. And those are classes that you take with the the 11 people in your cohort?
2: Yeah. So the, um, dance movement therapy specific courses were with the 11 people in my cohort. And then the counseling courses were a blend of the art therapy students and the music therapy students. So it's a tri-track. So all three of us were in those courses together.
0: Great. Yeah. That's small because that really gives you the opportunity to learn a lot. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah,
2: it really does
1: well i think to the interdisciplinary activity what do i want to say blend of students also in the room like oh yeah. this is what we're learning in art therapy this is what we're learning we're learning in music therapy this is what we're learning in dance therapy and sort of that, that those interactions that one can then take with right cuz again i say that, i said this you know we're people before artists, but also we, you know, I know for me, I love visual art as well. So how we connect and how we can, you know, cause all patients are not monoliths and perhaps learning that little specific nugget from an art therapy major might then allow you to connect even deeper to your, to your patients. That's really wonderful.
0: Well, yeah. when it comes to collaborative care, having that influence, like something we doesn't get talked a whole lot about even in like generic or traditional i should say healthcare situations is that when you have medical students in the classroom with chiropractors in the classroom with nurses in the classroom with physical therapists learning their general sciences it starts to at least help you to understand oh these other fields are learning x things too and they and and what they're you know equipped to deal with you know you had mentioned that during the pandemic a lot of people were still able to go to their site and like that alone really sticks out to me because a lot of facilities hospitals and whatnot were you know shutting down all things that they would deem quote unquote unnecessary and the idea that they viewed that as a thing to continue with what what does a, a traditional like appointment look or if there is such a thing as a traditional appointment depending on what you're doing what does that look like when you're in the room because i feel like a lot of healthcare providers don't have a good understanding of what dance therapy is.
2: Yeah, and it it looks very different in a lot of different places, especially if you are working with a group of individuals, or if you are working with just one individual. I'll kind of give like a little example of when I was at the rehabilitation hospital, because that was a lot of one on one work. At that time, they were still not letting group sessions or even like support groups. They weren't really letting group things happen in person because of know the extent of care a lot of these patients were going through and exposure to germs and you know so on and so on a lot of hospitals were following that protocol so a lot of the times the process was i would especially first coming in at the beginning of the academic year i was a new student they didn't know me so going around shadowing um the pts the ot's just looking at their day-to-day and seeing how they worked with each patient And then they would email me referrals. They would say, oh, so-and-so is my patient right now. They are working on X, Y, and Z. They really love music and have an interest in movement. Would you like to meet with them? So I would usually go down to their room, get to know them, kind of assess, you know, what are you working on in PT and OT? What are your personal goals? And then kind of move from there. We would explore different kinds of movement processes, either that's meditation or we're working on movement sequencing, especially someone who maybe experienced a stroke and they're trying to gain movement back on one side of their body. You know, we're, you know, working on the opposition and using mirroring and different movement interventions to kind of get their body moving in a different way outside of their traditional exercises. Sometimes I would co-treat, I would come to say an OT or PT session and bring music and bring maybe props, scarves, different balls, work with passing or have them create movement shapes, cross body movements, um, different things like that just to spark their interest in a different way and to think of it more as expression rather than an exercise or a repetition.
1: I love that's awesome. What you just said, right? The expression rather than the shape. I think, <clears throat> wow, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm thinking about friends, my friends, parents, you know, we're in that generation now, right? We're of that age where our our, our parents are starting to have um, difficulties. And just to see that, like, you know, it, it isn't about the specific shape, but instead about the expression of it. And I think that can, you know, that right brain, left brain, right? Using the creative brain to rehab as well. That's beautiful. Can you talk a little bit about what the group, if you've had any, because I know kind of still in COVID, sort of, I'm not really sure. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about what group sessions look like?
2: Yeah. So group sessions look kind of like structurally similar, but again, it depends on who shows up to your group, who wants to contribute, who wants to observe, you know, you kind of learn how to interact in the moment and pull things from what the group is bringing. But I usually kind of have a basic structure in mind, starting with a check in, see how everyone's doing, allow them to share if it's something going on or if they have something new happening, letting everyone kind of check in and share. And then I usually start with some sort of movement warm up to bring just cohesive rhythm, bringing everyone together, allowing different people to lead in the warm up. Say, I go to my left, and so and so, you can lead the next movement step. And just getting the body moving. I had a lot of experience working with individuals who had movement limitations. So maybe they can't stand for a long period of time or they can't, you know, they can't move their right arm or their left leg. So adapting movement, giving options. And then once we kind of complete a warm-up, there's usually some sort of intervention of some sort. So maybe today we're exploring memory or working on movement sequencing. So we go around and everyone creates a movement and then we try to reverse it or go back to the beginning, remembering the order. A lot of times I would use memory games when working at the rehabilitation location, but sometimes it's creating a movement based on an experience of loss, maybe the theme of the day we make is loss. So we each share a movement regarding loss, and then we put it in a story together. So it's really very different depending on the goals or where the individuals are that day and what they want to process. And then there's usually some sort of closure. I have recently liked to close with a goodbye gesture. How do we want to say goodbye today? How do we want to wrap up to know that I saw you, I made a connection with you, and I'm closing this moment. I'm not just leaving you hanging and maybe you shared something personal, you know, making it feel wrapped up and then letting them go on with the day.
1: Mm, And I love you just you use the word personal goal a few times now, which is really lovely, because again, we talked a little bit about, oh, gosh, I don't remember. I think it was Maddie. And we were talking about these are my goals to get back to this role and this specific role. Right. So it's not rehabilitation of that person and that person alone and get back to human movement. And there it is. But actually, my personal goal is to actually do this role. So here are some films that I need to do to get myself to that. And mm-hmm. so I think it also gives the patient an opportunity to have agency and autonomy in where they want to get to, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm ta- th- in this instance, I'm talking about an able-bodied dancer, but regardless that, I still think that's really, really, really important to recognize that uh, patient, uh, well, I, I say responsibility, sure, but I also say, you know, this idea of including them in their care, right? in their, yeah. Can you talk a little bit now about, the counseling aspect of it? Have you done any of that or have you mostly gone into sort of the movement?
2: Yeah. So it's, it's all kind of has that structure of the counseling approach and Mm -hmm. um, goals and treatment planning. But again, it looks a little different in each site that I've worked in one site specific after each group, you know, we would have to write notes about, Each individual in the group in regard to their treatment plan, especially in short term care where they're there for a short amount of time, they're trying to meet the treatment goal, they want to see that they're going to the sessions, the dance movement therapy sessions or the art therapy sessions, these are their counseling sessions while they're in the short term care. So that the doctors and the people on the team can say, oh, okay, they've been going, they've been taking their medication, they have been interacting in groups. So they're using these interventions towards the treatment team's goal of, okay, now they are successful and sustainable, and they can go back into the community. Mm -hmm. So that looks a little different for like acute care, where it's, you know, this compact treatment plan that we're all as a team trying to get the individual to their goal of sustainability so that they can go back into the community. But for a longer term of care, so more of like outpatient, it might look a little different, depending on whoever the individual is, maybe they're just coping with anxiety, or they have depression, and it's more of a longevity of sustaining their overall health as time goes on, you know, they're out in the community, they're living their life, they're coming in for sessions on weekly or biweekly. So it looks a little different, um, depending on the setting.
1: Mm Hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, it's not this one track care, right? That Mm -hmm. we're really looking at the individual patient and seeing how that operates in their life and their with the care team, right? Their whole package. Mm -hmm. So this, I really like this question. And you can, if you don't have an answer, that's okay. But Mm -hmm. I think, like, what would you say was the most valuable thing you learned in the dance therapy, dance therapy slash movement therapy? Counseling program. And is there anything that undergraduate programs can start to instill in their programs to bridge that gap between healthcare and dance?
2: Yeah, I was thinking about this question. There's so many things. I think one of the, you know, huge takeaways from this training and this learning that continues as I continue to grow myself and learn and educate in new ways, I think it's just that expression of dance and dance as an art modality is so beautiful as a performance aspect, but also as a form of community healing and connection. I think that's something I have learned to value in myself and others. I love the performance aspect within my um, artistic self and being able to perform and what that brings to the viewers or whoever's watching, whoever's a part of it, but also this other realm of expression and healing and community. And we are all movers. We can all connect in that way. We all have a way of moving and just like the power of that.
0: Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think the thing that is really interesting that i've always loved about the idea of like dance and movement therapy is that we talk a lot about you know bridging the gap as far as you know creating better quality care for dancers because it's not understood but really this is a whole other avenue of what that bridge looks like because it really is the bridge it's not dancer going into healthcare to help dancers mm-hmm. it's dance as a form of health care being utilized to help non-dancers in a healthcare setting yes. and that I think is is huge and unfortunately woefully lacking in like the education in the rest of the healthcare community as to what the benefits are for dance movement therapy. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of places, I, I don't know if any of the hospitals here in Rochester have any such thing, but I've definitely never heard it really talked much about in the healthcare community as far as a, a mode of care. But it really is something, like you said, that's important, and it's about a community healing app mm-hmm. kind of approach. And I think it'd be great if we can have that more widely talked about in healthcare.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was also one of my reflecting thoughts was this continued learning of other therapeutic approaches to healing and health. It's going to look different for everybody, and. A lot of us go into strenuous environments when we go to a hospital or we're or someone that might be in an inpatient setting, you know, it's, it's scary. It's not comfortable, you know, it's like this robotic process. So these bringing in arts and different modalities can help, you know, it helps that healing process because we are humans and we want to feel humanized and these different aspects can help healing in that way, I think. Mm-hmm
1: yeah wow you you know it's so interesting to me because i think in undergraduate programs there is such a push to you know get to that elite level get to that space get to that place you know especially in performance and choreography undergraduate programs and i think i think sometimes you know i said this this week at a I was on a panel but i do believe that community is not inherent that it has to be built that it has to be cultivated that it has to be nurtured like a garden we need sun we need water we need nutrients we need You know, folks to take care of that. And so I think one of the things that we can certainly implement in these very rigorous programs, which I do think are wonderful, please don't, you know, don't take it that way, but that also building those times for like a dance jam where like the only thing that we're going to do is we're going to play some music and we're going to dance in community with each other period there's no grade attached to this there's no assignment attached to this but that like what is it for you to move to whatever music we're going to we're going to use you know making a collective playlist right what's the music that you like to jam to what's the music that Lydia likes to jam to what's the music that James likes to jam to and i think that sometimes we we get so wrapped up in this need to to become so elite. And so, you know, and I think also we're in, inundated with this with the social media and, you know, ho- I, I always use the like whole lot better, faster, stronger, you know, more turns, more height of leg, more, you know, and oftentimes we're seeing photos of it. We're not actually seeing like the movement of it, the video of it. And so I wonder how undergraduate programs can really lean in towards individuality of artists And then in community with each other. I think that's really important. One of the things that we do here, you know, we have those collective warm ups before performance, but oftentimes it can feel like, it, it's geared towards the performance and like you're warming up for the performance not hey let's celebrate the fact that we made this show together right and off and I get it I under you know the, you have to do a lift call make sure that the lift is going to go up properly and all of those things I don't I, you know again I don't mean to dismiss the other things that we're doing but I think it's also important to recognize that community aspect of and whether it's healing or not you know and I, I do think that there are some Uh, you know, forgive my, the language here, but like these come to Jesus moments that also have to occur because oftentimes competition and, 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 you know, that kind of thing can, can breed itself into programs that are so, so, so ingrained in getting to that elite level. So I definitely see that as an opportunity for, for growth of the program, but also for growth of like the individual artist. Right.
2: Yeah, completely.
1: Yeah. We like to wrap up with the last two kind of questions, but the first one that I'll ask you is how do you think healthcare can apply dance therapy lessons to better serve both dance population and then the non, and I don't like this non-dance. I think everyone's a dancer, so it's a hard question for me to ask, but (laughs) the the general population who maybe doesn't have um, as much experience with dance.
2: Yeah. I think it kind of comes back to what I was previously saying that this is such a new and fresh perspective in the healthcare field. And it's a new way of connecting with people and offering a tool for healing. So I think just, you know, exploring and being open to the modality and learning and educating, even with other modalities, not just the creative arts therapy, but other like adaptive technology and just new things that are coming in to ultimately provide, you know, the best care that you can for a patient or an individual. I think healing just is, it's difficult, especially when there's extreme trauma. So how can we offer these tools that are approachable to the individual's mental health as well when they are going through such a physical process or some sort of health trauma, you know, their psyche also needs to be taken care of. So these tools are so important to integrate into that process.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. It's the, the the treating holistically, right? Not treating just the physical, but treating mm-hmm. the, the mind, body, spirit, so to speak. Yeah. Great. And then, okay. So this is always a question I have because I think I am of the opinion that I think dance, we can meet in the middle, right? That dancers can meet healthcare and healthcare can meet dancers, and so, my next question is, what sort of advice do you have to dancers who kind of don't see the value in dance therapy in dance counseling in whatever that is? What are some suggestions that you might have to sort of maybe under uh, have have dancers understand alternative alternative practices to building their artistic processes, to building their mental health capacity, to building their sense of community?
2: Yeah, totally. I think this is something that I wish of kind I wish I kind of would have explored for myself during undergrad, like earlier in my training. You know, it comes back to kind of you've mentioned several times where the human alongside the dancer. So along with this forever-driven passion to perform and be an artist. I think it is also important to find those other passions that fuel you as an individual, because that sometimes gets lost when you are so passionate and you're driving, 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 you kind of lose that momentum in those other aspects of your life. I think that's been a huge part of my own journey and healing is, you know, finding these other things that drive my passion and my soul and my being, because it, it also helps drive that aspect of me. It um, helps me with creativity and all those things that are important to me as an artist as well. So, you know, I don't think it has to be for everyone. You don't have to explore um, these different avenues. It might not be for you, but I think just like the continuous curiosity to learn and maybe explore something new. Maybe you don't know about dance therapy or different pathways of dance science or Pilates. Maybe you just haven't heard about it or you haven't learned about it. So I think just being open to the learning and exploring and connecting because you you don't have anything to lose from opening your mind.
1: Oh, awesome. That's a great way to end. Oh my gosh, that is brilliant. James, do you have any further thoughts?
0: Yeah, the, the thing you had said a little earlier, too, about like the sustainability of it, I mean, with dance therapy, I think, and and it's not new, but a lot of people will try and say that it's this some, um, I mean, it's that kind of alternative label that gets thrown on things, sometimes to demean them, sometimes because people don't understand it. And, you know, this idea of sustainable, uh, you know, patients coming in and doing, dance therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, chiropractic care, as this natural form of care often gets this pushback sometimes because it's like, well, why would you need to keep doing it? And it's, you know, there's a a company of physical therapists that I took a bunch of courses from that have a great phrase about why being active and healthy is important. It's, It's because stronger people are harder to kill. And the idea of, you know, that sustainable form to care is so important and especially keeping it natural because of course we have a society where we have this other form of maintenance care to get on a soapbox for a second. That is very drug heavy. And we're, you know, culturally, we seem to be okay with that. We can take harmful, addictive drugs for the rest of our lives as a sustainability, but getting people to understand that these forms of modalities are a natural way of doing it where maybe you wouldn't need other forms of sustainability. Yeah. It's just great to see that again, dance as a therapeutic form of care physically and mentally, and the embracing of doing these holistic approaches to health before going into something more invasive, I think is just really, really important. And the more people can learn about things like dance therapy and other forms of non-invasive healthcare, I think the better it's just really important to keep everyone in the community healthier.
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to leave it on that note. So I want to say thank you so much, Lydia, for joining us and sharing your thoughts. We're really grateful. And on a personal note, I'm just super proud of you. I remember you. Uh, you know, it was my first, uh, my first gig out of, I don't know if I'm supposed to say gig now in higher ed, but <laughs> my first gig outside of grad school. And I just, I'm, wow, it's amazing to see you grown into such a beautiful artist and beautiful human and Uh, Yeah, just on a personal note, super, super, super grateful um, for, for the remaining connection, right? Yeah,
2: thank
1: you. Absolutely. So if you enjoyed our conversations, please follow us on Instagram. Podcast of information is available in the bio. So we want to say thank you for listening and you can tune in next month for more critical conversations. Absolutely. We have to thank our collaborators as well. So music composition is by Alexandra Osman and our graphic design is by Dr. Kelsey Elliott. Thank you.